that is important yeah. for me or significant as the 10 ton split apple. Why would anybody bother? There's all these geniuses out there and they're quite happy to show you all the time yeah. how genius they are. So you have to be pretty tough to actually keep going, but you should keep going. It really is a paradox, but I live in there. Yeah, I live in that paradox, and I, it's a wonderful place to be. It's to take my clothes off and do a jig in the middle of the studio and go. Yeah. Welcome back, everybody. Um, I've been really looking forward to this one. This episode is Shane Woolridge telling us about his journey from rebellious teen to musician to tradesman to craftsman to eventually becoming a worldwide successful artist. This is a great episode, so tuck in. Um, we'll start right from the very start, Shane, and um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about where it all started with you, where you're from, the environment which you grew up as a child. Okay, so I was born in southwest England um, in an area called the Cotswolds. The town was called uh, Cheltenham, Cheltenham Spa. Quite a big town, a money town, about 120,000 people. Right. Um, but I lived in a council area. Um, the place I grew up in was, um, there was an estate of these sort of, um, they were actually temporary huts put up after the Second World War for just temporary housing. Right. But they never knocked them down. The council ended up just renting them out. So they're just prefabs. Right, yeah. Little prefabs. Um, sort of asbestos corrugate, you know the ones? Yeah, asbestos yeah. Asbestos corrugate roof, whole thing, just a little block in blocks of two. Probably and quite cold and damp at times. Oh, just, yeah. I mean, they were extremely basic. Yeah. And you had a little front garden, a little back garden, and then a shed. And everybody's was the same. Um, I mean, that sounds that sounds pretty rough, but actually growing up, it was a great little area. There was a huge dumps there. We, we called it the dumps, a massive hill of, of just earth. It was probably 20 metres high, and you walk up the steeple, and it was flat on the top. And we used to spend all our time up there, just over this bank from there, it, there was the railway line and this great old iron bridge, which led to the haunted house, which was an old house which was abandoned. <laughs> and we would just go in there and exploring, smash it to pieces. Nobody ever questioned it. There was a massive garage. It was so big, the garage. Then it housed this old boat. It was huge. I don't know how they got it in there. There was, was a still, boat in there. The boat was still in there. Yeah. But we had smashed every single window in the building. We'd even, <laughs> someone bashed a window out. And one of the bricks out the side fell out. So then someone started poking the bricks out. Eventually, we knocked a huge hole out of the side of the wall. But no one ever stopped us. Yeah. It was strange. It was, I mean, the whole estate there was all sort of, these were the sort of middle class houses over there. Yeah. Brick and everything. And it was, you know, but nobody, this was on the edge of it, but nobody ever stopped us. There was no, I can remember as a kid, a great childhood, there didn't seem to be any adults. Yeah. We kicked out the house, come back when it's dark. Um, Nobody seemed to question us, whatever we did, walking down the train tracks. Do you think there. that's a good thing that's maybe lost today? Yeah, and I think that had a huge part in forming my um, my character. I made a lot of fun as well, so it was quite humorous. It was tough, you know, you had to sort of fend for yourself, but um, you find out things by default, you know, you just went through, and it was great. You, you could build things, knock things down, you burn things smash things up it was great and no like I say it was just sort of it was lawless yeah but it was like a freedom um, when I was nine we moved to a block of flats about two miles away um, in a sort of a shopping precinct uh, just life went downhill immediately you know right. it was just it was completely it was like a prison 
Yeah. And um, a couple of years later, my old man left and I just went off the rails, joined a little street gang that basically learned how to be um, destructive mm. properly. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's all I did was be destructive. But inside I had this, I was just a normal loving kid, sensitive. Yeah. just had to hide all that. And I used to be, I used to call myself, I'm thinking back, I used to call myself, um, like if I ever wrote a book about my life, I'd call it the secret poet. <laughs> yeah, I used to write poetry and I was good at it. Yeah. And it was sort of this place I could disappear to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could never tell any of my mates. I mean, you get your head kicked in. You know? So <laughs> it's, it's like, they all had tough lives too. You know, broken families, alcoholic mothers, fathers, whatever. Everyone was getting clouted, you know, by the old men and blah, 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 and all that sort of rubbish. Um, but I just had this, so I used to have to disappear and I kept this place, like a secret place. And, um, as time went on, um, got more and more destructive, uh, started being destructive at school, left school early, just walked out, nobody said anything. Uh, got a job as a bricklayer, apprentice bricklayer. Mm. And um, at the end of that apprenticeship, which I hated, um, I got a chance to go to Germany um, to work. Um, I'm not if you're familiar with Alvida Saint Pet, the series. No. It was on, it was a great series. TV um, series. Started Jimmy, BBC started Jimmy Nail. Yeah. Maybe a bit before my time. Yeah, they were Geordies and all that. And they yeah. went over, everybody was going over to Germany to work. They wanted all these bricklayers and labourers. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was straight out of my apprenticeship. And um, I went over there, I got asked to go over with a mate, and it was, well, it was a baptism of fire. Most of the people over there were on the run from the law. <laughs> and it was, once again, it was a lawless state. We were, being, we were in Germany, supplied by a Dutch agent, spread around Germany. I worked in Hamburg and Kiel. Mm. And... We were on these building sites. We were being paid cash by Dutch agents and we were getting twice as much as the locals. So they were getting half what we were getting and they were getting taxed. We were told to keep our mouth shut all the time. Yeah. All the Germans obviously they hated us. I didn't understand what it was we were going, but we just we worked like dogs. But we also were so just scraps and this and that and other and everybody lived in these sort of digs and it was dodgy, you know, it was just dodgy times. But I kind of went over there, a boy came back a man sort of thing. Yeah. The great thing about it was you earned so much money. It was all cash. You had nowhere to put it, so you had to keep trying to hide it. And I came back with a few grand after the first few months. And I bought my first electric guitar and an amplifier. And met a guy um, who I knew played and he was, he was good. I wasn't any good. I knew he was good and we just kind of hit it off. And we just, I just basically won a doll for six months. And all we did every day was play guitar. And I was quickly caught up with him, learned everything off him. Mm. And then we started writing songs. And a year after that, we were on BBC One on a Saturday night at seven o'clock on BBC One. Wow. Uh, on the first UK um, televised Battle of the Bands. So, it was, so England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, um, 1,400 bands entered it. And we got to the final and we won it. <laughs> And it was televised. Yeah. We didn't want to win it. We were just like a punk. That come very fast. It did. Yeah. But we were highly energetic. Me and Steve wrote all the songs. So this is the first time I realized people were listening. Mm. It was almost the first time I had a sense of power. For years, you were afraid to share that. Yeah. And now you're finding the first time you share it, people were actually... Yeah, although thinking. it wasn't poetry, but it's like a lyrics like, for me, it's like a poor man's poetry. Yeah. But you get the chance to to mess around. Of course, it was pretty basic back then and I couldn't really be really elaborate because 
the band wouldn't. And it's even Steve sang, not me. I was a backing vocalist. I just shouted crap over the top. You know, but, <laughs> um, he was the main vocalist, so he wasn't going to sing anything that was too sort of out there or spiritual or, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I had to kind of just, just talk about what it was like to live on the streets. Yeah. Fighting the police and all this sort of rubbish, you know, yeah. and all that. But it worked, it worked well. People and, could relate to that. Yeah, and we got signed up by RCA and... Um, played on Radio 1 and we had a live session on Radio 1 in England we got um, a single in the top 100 and but we were just four young guys you know what were we 17 20 21 22 mm. and um, we were just off the rails everywhere we played place got smashed up by the fans and <laughs> so we could never go back to anywhere we played <laughs> um, half the fans got thrown out in the final busting the seats up so, so it's never really going to go anywhere, which was a real shame. And that stopped. But I needed to keep writing because that was my creativity coming to the fore. And I just felt that I had I had something to offer. Mm. So I kept going in bands and I got married. Didn't really want to. Got this, bought a house. Um, had my own business. I was running guys. I was supplying labor, bricklayers and laborers to sort of the bigger projects. And I don't know how I kind of fell into that, but I did. And um some jobs I'd have up to, you know, anything between 14, 15, 16 guys working. Yeah. Big blocks of flats building and sports halls and stuff like that. The pressure was so much. Yeah. I became pretty miserable. And yeah, um, my wife decided that um, I wasn't the same man that she married. And she left me and living in a house on my own for, for a year. Never turned the lights on once in a year. So I'd leave in the morning. I'd have breakfast, lunch. And dinner at a local cafe, cook dinner mm. every night, and cook breakfast, cook lunch, walk home, get home, and never turn the light on. Why? I just, I just, like, I just, I just lost the plot, basically. Yeah. I didn't want to be part of anything. I just, I just needed to be in the darkness. You were in a very dark place. I was in a dark place, literally. Yeah. Figuratively and yeah. metaphorically. And yeah. kind of needed to be there, I guess, because oh, I want to fight my way out of this. So, um, I met um, I met this girl and I went to a party and this guy said, "Oh, I've got a I've got a house in Australia. I need some work done. If you ever want to come over, I fix it." He showed me the photographs. I looked at it. And I thought that's about two days' work. He said, "I'll give you three months free rent." And I went, mm. "I'm not a traveller. I hate travelling." Mm. I just went, "You know, what? I'm coming over." He said, "Really?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "When when can you come over?" I said, "I'll go. I'll go back to China and book the flights. I'll see you in see you in two months." Talk about darkness into light. Yeah, well, I had to sell everything and I gave most of it away to the wife. I, I took what I could out of the house and money-wise and I just left. And um, it was scary. Um, I was half mad and... Um, you just knew there was more for you I did. I, just had to try, I was trying to find some... So I had to find myself. So I went, you know, I went traveling, went to Bali and a disaster. Went to Aussie and got some work there and then eventually found myself... Um, going to Queens, coming to Queenstown because someone had said that there was a they were doing helicopter bungees here, and I just really wanted to do one. You know? <laughs> and so I came here, and within an hour of being in Queenstown, well, I don't even think it was an hour; it could have been two minutes, for all I know. In a very short time, I looked around, stunned, just like I got out of my car just now, looking around, looking at the mountains. They, they just do something to me, you know. Mm. And I was so stunned, not just at the landscape, the fact that you could live in this landscape. Mm. And I felt more at home in that few minutes than I ever did in England. Yeah. You know, and I knew that this was my place and that this was a good place for me. This is going to be a healthy place for me. I could get strong here. 
So I fought like like a dog to get my residency. Yeah, it wasn't hard. Cheat, lie, steal, whatever I did, and I got it in the end. They didn't want me in, but I managed to get it. And that was really the start of it. This place was a big catalyst for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I just felt that there's nobody here, like in England, they all, like even your mates, they want they, they like to see you fail. Yeah. They don't know what it is. They just like to see you fail. That's for, for them, it's almost like that's how they get their pleasure. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm all right. Ooh, look at him, look at yeah. him. You know, and they, so they all gather and they all look like hyenas. Yeah, yeah. But what they do is they don't realise, but they're eating themselves. They're mm. eating their mates, they eat everybody. It's the race to the bottom. It's just, wow, it is exactly a race to the bottom. It's a great way of putting it. And, and I just hear all the clouds lifted and the, literally and the landscape so inspiring. Yeah. And then there I was looking at the landscape and I thought, I'd already been introduced to stone a few years earlier. Um, and I fell in love with the, the way that you could st- stone required an, an emotional input. It wasn't like bricks were so mechanical and methodical. They all came the same size. You knew exactly what you're going to be doing all the time. Yeah. You knew exactly what it was going to look like. Mm. And stone, you have to think. Yeah. You've got to start shaping it and doing it. And wow, there's all these colors. It's like, wow, this is fascinating. Mm. And it became an emotional, personal thing. So then you started putting your personality into it. Mm. So after a while, when I got here, using the schist, which is just the most amazing, perfect building stone, um, you find you have a style. And I could recognize other stonemasons' styles. I could go around the house, oh yeah, he did that, he did that. And they could say, oh, Shane Walsh did that. Mm. Because we had our styles. So it was personal, and that goes to prove, you know. Yeah, it's almost um, like your signature. Yeah, and it become Something to be proud of. You could also see, I also noticed that it was, look how good I am, look how neat this is, look how intricate this is, look at how good I am. And I thought, wow, I'm, it's like just fully ego based mm. and that was a little bit embarrassing <laughs> and so I tried to be more free flowing yeah more organic in the style rather than how is it embarrassing when you reveal it or show it to people no I thought it was embarrassing for me that if someone else was to realise that they'd say oh you're all ego it's just all ego and I just think wow I'd have to say yeah it is actually. Yeah. why don't I do it for the love of the work not for look at this, therefore this is great, so therefore I am. Yeah. You know. So I try to separate myself from it and just be a humble craftsman. Mm. Yeah. I'd elevated from a from a tradesman to a craftsman, I felt, because I was looking for that quality and I was always trying to improve and always trying to find ways of bettering the, the work or visual tricks and listening and learning, always recognizing that I could never know it all. There's always something else to learn. And that's really interesting. And then from the craftsman, you start doing, try to get more creative with it. So I used to start to ask, ask clients, would you let me be a bit more creative? All this work here, but I could see if we did this and that, it would break it up because you've got so much stonework here that in the end, you're not going to see any of it. And if you don't break it up, you're spending all this money and you might as well just plaster it. It's kind of a waste. And not only that, I've got to do it. <laughs> and I don't want this work to be wasted. And they go, oh, yes. They talk to the architect. The architect will say, stick to your station, Sonny. <laughs> Basically, that's what they said. And I, yeah. I hated them for it. Mm. But also, I hated them because I knew they were right. Stick to your station. This yeah. is our the design. Their the design art is team. ours. You're just a laborer. And I realized that I was. So I thought, 
okay, bingo, now I realize what I'm doing. I'm just building other people's dreams. I am realizing other people's dreams. So the people, the clever people, are the ones who get out and they have a dream and they chase it. And what they do is they find the dreamless who don't have their own dreams. Come work for me and help me build this, build my dream. Because you the have dreamless problems. as in a client. No, um, as in workers who who are just happy to work and they're just looking for money. Mm. They don't have a dream of their own, so they just need worker ants. And I was a worker ant, I guess, because I was yeah. being. I could hire me to build their dream for them. Yeah. All I got out of it was money and a little bit of self satisfaction out of the work. So I realised. Why don't, why don't I build my own dreams? Why don't I design and build my own stuff? They don't want to let me, but they can't stop me. So I'll do my own stuff. And that was basically that was basically the start of yeah. me thinking, I want to become more of an artisan. So it's tradesman, craftsman, craftsman, artisan. I'm a craftsman trying to do artistic work. I can't claim to be an artist because you've got to have a track record, you know. Mm. Um You've got to be selling work regularly and, you know, you've got to build up this reputation. And um, I never realized I could actually do that, but I knew I had some great ideas and, yeah. that, and that, you know, it, it would flow if I just give it a chance. So I used to take a day off every now and again, just work on my own stuff, tell the guys that I was looking for material, doing the books, <laughs> you know, because I didn't want to tell them what I was doing because, yeah, they'd, you know. Just stamp on your dreams maybe a little. Yeah. yeah. So from there, it just sort of... Um, It, I just started, yeah, I just started adventuring, if you want, moving, yeah. just, you know, getting, get an idea and seeing, seeing actually, can I, can I do this? And there's plenty of times where you think, oh, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. <laughs> I, I can't think of anything. Or, oh, this is, this looks a bit. And when you get into those moments, there's a little bit of advice from somebody or encouragement or do you just need something to reassure you? Yeah, well, I found for me. How do you reconcile those? That was thoughts? always back to not really. I didn't know any artists. I didn't know anyone. I'm not really someone who asks for favors or advice, but I can listen and I can read. And also, I, I was fully aware that the landscape that talked to me within a minute of being here was still talking to me. And here it was mm. talking to me and offering me the material. All I had to do was come up with a simple plan. You know, it's like, why? It's, So I just go back to just keep it simple, keep it simple. I had my trade, which was masonry, which I could then my all my f early works were all constructed works. So I built them using stone masonry, but I built them in organic forms that nobody else was doing. Nobody was bending work, mm. you know, and, I, and it required so much effort and so much more skill that I hadn't really pushed in that direction. So yeah. it really pushed me. And so that was, you know, but I couldn't, I knew I could, I could use it, but I couldn't stay there because if I carried on just constructing stuff, I thought that other stonemasons will see what I'm doing and go, well, I could do that, mm. which is basically what I did. because I saw it, I saw it online somewhere and I, it was a guy called Andy Goldsworthy, um, an artist who was doing all sorts of stuff, mostly ephemeral stuff, which is just temporary sculptures yeah. in balancing stone or using leaves or thing, and it was, all, it was at the mercy of the wind but he'd take a photograph of it and that became his art and then he became famous and he started doing these huge stoneworks but he just employed stonemasons to create his dreams yeah um, and I, I was fascinated by it I think well I don't need to employ stonemasons because I am one yeah 
So I can actually do that. I can do it on my own. Yeah. I don't need help. And that was my inspiration, really, one of my inspirations to thinking, to think bigger, mm. you know. And um, so, yeah, I, I didn't really ask for help, but um, the further you get in, you just bump into people and... You felt you had to... Sorry for interrupting. No, it's not. I was just thinking, you, you felt you had to keep evolving so that no one else could produce what you were producing. You wanted to be one yeah. step ahead. Well, it's trying to be original. Yeah, original. It's back to the it's back to the music question. What is original? Everything's been done before. Yeah. I mean, Plato, I think the Greek philosopher, said there's nothing new under the sun. And he said that 5,000 years ago. So, I mean, what chance have we got of being original? But it's putting your personality into something that gives it a flavour um, that says it's you. Like my stonework could be spotted. People say, other masons could say, oh, that's a Woolwich house, that one. Mm. Well, true now of my work, like people could say, well, that's probably that Shane Woolwich guy, you know, because one, who else is doing it? And two, my work is quite, you know, it's quite eye-catching. Yeah. So, and dramatic at times. And so it's it stands out. And so, um yeah, well, do you know one of the most fascinating thing? I did, did get some advice from a lady, and she was a tough, tough lady, and she was a, a gallery owner, and a good one, and she was up dealing with the echelons of the art world. Mm. I was never going to be involved. We were friends, but I was. Ne- she was never going to sell my work, you know. And I asked her. I said, "What do you think? You know, what do you think of my work and everything?" She said, "She went, oh," and she just kind of dismissed me. She said, "You got to learn to take your hands out of the work," and kind of just went like that and, and walked away. I was. It was like a, it's been smacked with a hammer. It was so, it broke me. It shattered yeah. me. Take your hands out of the work. You're all over the world. Get out of the way. Hey, rude. And then I walked away and thought, oh my God, she's right. How embarrassing. Someone had spotted it. Wow, I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. So this is my, I was still a stonemason doing creative work. So I was still an artisan until I could take my hands out of the work. Basically, by that, you know, she meant don't do masonry, do do something else, do something in the world. I mean, why can't you just take a stone? Why isn't a stone good enough when you find it? See the beauty in that. The fine stones, or already found it. Wow, stone's beautiful. But I, why would anybody else find it beautiful? And how, where do I move from? How can I, how can I then say to someone, this stone is amazing. You need to buy this from me and place it in your garden. Mm. They go. Well, I'm going to get my own. Yeah. So it was a conundrum. So yeah. I had to learn. It's a very to, practical mindset. Yeah, so I had to learn how to carve and polish. And I never took any instruction around this because I thought if I find my own way, maybe my way of working will be unique. And so, once again, it's a signature. It's a style. It's just a, it's a way of saying, this is me. I exist. It comes back to ego again. Um, can't escape that, I guess. But and it was it was an amazing piece of advice. It was tough, but you know, um, get your hands out of the work, Just get out of the way of your own work. You know, it's like it's it took me a long time to actually overcome that. Um, we're still good friends, and she she really rates my work now, and I always credit her with that. She can't even remember saying it. <laughs> I always said it was like you smacked me in the head with a hammer. Yeah, and it was just so it broke my heart. Yeah, actually, but it's what you heart. needed. Yeah, but I needed to stand up, put it back together, and yeah, and sort of yeah, understand it that actually what I've been given there was some advice. Yeah, someone wasn't trying to break me; they were actually trying to push me forward. Yeah, but it was dressed up in a different way that I wasn't. My sensitivity couldn't handle it. Yeah, you know. But a lot of people, 
after that comment, receiving that comment, they would think, oh, she's a so-and-so. What does she know? Take that kind of approach. But you've uh, reflected, you've looked inside yourself and you've realized maybe there is some truth in what she's saying. Yeah. Maybe that's key to your success. Well, I, maybe it is. And I, I can't tell you why I didn't take it really badly and just blame her and carry on doing what I was doing. Um, she, well, what she did was expose me. She yeah. exposed me. So, and I, and I was probably, that was embarrassing, but I, I thought, oh, I don't want to be exposed again. If she can see it, other people on yeah. that level can see it. So I have to make some changes. So I have to make some changes. Mm. I need to now understand why I'm doing this. It can't be just for replacing. It's just, it can't be another way of making money. There has to be more to it than that. Why did I do my music? Why do I write music? Knowing, I write my music knowing I can never get any financial gain from my music. My music has cost me a lot of money. I've produced albums, also been here, two albums I've produced here, uh, written, paid for, produced, everything. It cost me all the way through. I never made any money out of it. I never expected to, but I carried on and did it. They were personal quests. I just needed to, and the, perhaps the money will come. And luckily for me, it did. You know, uh, able to carry on and pay the mortgage and live a normal life, and, uh, but create some mental freedom, which in the end is... is Absolute luxury, you know. It's currency as well. Well, it absolutely is. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that is the win. Yeah. That is the win because when you're in that place, what you are is you become closer to a more natural way of living. And so for some reason, I don't know why, but humans are able to extract themselves from nature and become separate from it and then destroy it. It's absolutely bizarre. But we are nature. But we look at nature like it's something separate to us I don't know how we've been able to do that we've been gifted this conscious sort of mind mind that can create we've actually it gives us a choice and I don't know why we're allowed to say yes and no you know we can say no to the right thing whereas animals plants just have this they just have this genetic imprint and they just do what they aim for the sun look for the sun follow the sun go at night out in the morning do this hunt eat enough band lab from giant could it be a perversion caused by maybe other people's greed or propaganda? Well, I think it is a perversion. I think that's a great word for it. I think human race is a perversion yeah. or became one. And there's a big movement trying to get back. I don't actually think it could happen. I don't know how you can get everyone on the same page. Too, too many people being born and now with the introduction yeah. of technology, it's ruining younger people. Mm. Full of anxiety. They can never achieve what these people on the screen are achieving. Oh, my God. It's, like if I was a guitarist, I look at these five-year-old kids shredding the guitar. I'm going, what the, why would anybody bother? There's all these geniuses out there and they're quite happy to show you all the time yeah. how genius they are. And you're always going to be less than. So you have to be pretty tough to actually keep going. But you should keep going. And that's yeah. the point, you know. So you could get to a point where you can just then let go of all that and get to this place we were just talking about where you, you become more and need less. Do less. You think less but become more. Yeah. It's, I don't know, it's a strange place to be. It's, it's, it really is a paradox, but I live in there. Yeah, I live in that paradox, and I, it's a wonderful place to be. Yeah, incredible. Wow, yeah. Well, Shane, you just went exactly to the timeline I had. As, I was, as you were talking, you were just ticking all the boxes of what I was going to ask you, so I didn't need to ask you a single thing. Oh, cool. And that's, just, that's your journey. You just told it yeah. to where you are now. Yeah. That's it. That's, we don't need anything else for part one. Um, yeah. You always, when I'm talking to you, you always bring me into this place of deep thought, just because that's where you are, I guess. Yeah. 
and it's, I love it. Yeah. You know, I'm fascinated by my own journey, and sometimes I can separate myself, and I'm listening to it, I'm going, wow, did you do that? <laughs> so, I mean, who's asking? Yeah. Who's listening? Yeah. Wow, another paradox. It's, just like, it's, it's incredible. And I think we'll wrap this episode up here. Well, Shane is not just a talented artist, but clearly a great storyteller too. I really enjoyed that. Uh, Part two is coming soon and we'll be in conversation with Shane. Uh, So stay tuned and thanks again for listening.